0: prayed until you felt that your prayers were of no avail. You confessed and then you got weary and you stopped. Your heart cried out to me until you became despondent. But the Lord says, I heard, I've seen, and now I want you to know I've gone before you. I've gone ahead of you. I shall break out in front of you, behind you, around you, says the Lord. And you shall see the thing that you were praying for, confessing for, believing for, hoping for. The Lord says, it is yours. Because I'm marching out ahead of you. The breakthrough is yours. Woo! Come on, let's give Him a shout of praise. Come on, every story in the Bible is there for us. Every story. When he broke out like many waters. You know, when David heard the sound of the marching in the tops of the trees and God said to him, go out and God worked. Come on, there's a time for us to do things. Amen. But there's a time in surrender when we just began to praise and sing in the Spirit. Why do we sing in the Spirit? Because the Bible says to. Number one. Why do we sing in the Spirit? Because we've sung with our understanding and we've come to the end and to the limit of this finite mind. And to take praise higher, we switch over to the Holy Spirit because it's in a language that is not finite, it's unlimited. And we can begin to praise God in spiritual language, in heavenly terms, unfettered, unbound, unlimited by the natural amen and so soon as we start to lift our voices like a david says in psalm 149 i bind them with fetters of iron you know our enemies i execute judgment on their princes isn't that awesome come on like jehoshaphat we send judah first we send praise first and then god says all right you do that because it's a position of trust It's a position of standing and having done all stand. Then you watch what I will do. Amen. When Moses was caught against the Dead Sea or the Red Sea with the Israelites behind him, God said, just stretch that rod of authority. He could have just as well said, stretch out your hand. He could have just as well said, just lift up your hands and begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. Because then God said to him, I want you to notice this enemy behind you that's pursuing you. It's the last time you see them. Amen. Amen. Come on, we can praise our way out of depression, praise our way out of unemployment, we can praise our way out of being broke, we can praise our way into health and healing, and all of these things. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, it's a day of salvation. It's a day of healing, it's a day of miracles. Amen. Hallelujah. You got your Bibles? So Proverbs chapter 4, we were looking at, and I think we were looking at around about verse 23, and I touched on it last week about guarding your heart. Amen? So look at the person next to you and say he's talking to you again. You need to guard your heart. Guard your heart. Say guard your heart, okay? Guard your heart. And um, it seems like the Lord is really speaking to us about this, but Proverbs chapter 4, and I'm going to run through a few translations. The NIV says this, above all else, above all else, everyone say above all else. In other words, above everything else, guard your heart, okay? Because he says it is the wellspring, the NIV says it is the wellspring of life. The King James says, keep thy heart with all diligence, Now, in other words, you've got to be diligent in keeping your heart. Is that okay? It means it requires effort. It requires energy. It requires focus. Is that all right? And In other words, it requires discipline, and it requires continuity. What the Bible is trying to tell us is you cannot take a break from protecting, guarding, taking care of your heart. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but in unguarded moments, the most craziest things can enter or come out of your heart. And so the message says, keep vigilant watch over your heart because that's where life starts. The New Living Translation says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Yeah, it does. So your heart determines the course of your life. It's very interesting, and I'll explain it a bit later, but the Contemporary English Version says this, the CEV says, carefully guard And it doesn't say heart, it says thoughts. Carefully guard your thoughts because they are the source of life. So we are to guard, protect, safeguard, police, patrol, keep safe our heart. So I think we touched on it last week adequately, but I want to just refer back to what is your heart? What is your heart? How does the Bible describe the heart? Now, we all know, scientists will say, look, the heart is this physical muscle here that pumps blood around your body. Well, the Bible seems to, and I trust the Bible more than I trust scientists, but because the physical heart is more than just a muscle. It really is. But if we have a look at what the Word says about what the heart is, just in the Old Testament, the word heart is used more than 800 times, and 200 of that, it's talking about our thought life, what processes takes place within us. So, in other words, it deals with our thought life, It deals with our emotions, and it refers to it as the wellspring of life. In other words, every issue in our lives springs up out of our hearts. We looked at it last week. Jesus said, it's not what goes in that makes you unclean. He says, it's what comes out that makes you unclean. Because he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what you're full of comes out. Is that okay? And some people are full of hot air, and it comes out, in their <laughs> comes out in their conversations. Okay, there's other words, but don't think of those other words, all right? So whatever you're full of comes out. One psychologist said, speak, and I'll be determining what's in your heart. Another one said, while you're talking, I'm picking your brain. And that's why psychologists are so trained. They can engage you in conversation And they can locate you right where you're at because it's coming out from the inside. Now, for some people, it's not difficult because you listen to their conversation and you realize that's an angry person. So anger is what's inside. Some people are depressed because when they talk, I mean, you can just hear it in the language. You can feel it exuding out of them. So whatever's in the heart comes out. So the Hebrew word is leb, alibi, and it extends to the will. It refers to the will, the mind, and even the intellect. To a Hebrew, the heart is the center of everything, including understanding and wisdom. Is that all right? So it all comes from the heart as far as the Bible is concerned. Now, I don't know if you remember. I'm going to try and draw it with my hands. But remember in the old days when we used to teach on spirit, soul, body. We used to go big circle body, smaller circle inside, and we'd say uh, soul. Smaller circle inside and we'll say spirit. Yeah. And, and that's it's helpful to show us that we are spirit, soul, and body, but it's not helpful showing anything else. So for me, you know, kind of, you almost need three intersecting circles to explain spirit, soul, and body to understand the mind. Yeah. So I want you to understand two circles overlapping, yeah. okay? And then there's a like a, that size shape, rugby ball shape in the middle here. Now, if you drew another circle over that, a circle will intersect that rugby ball shape, and there's a little piece in there. Now, for me, as I study, my understanding is that is the heart of a person. The reason why I'm saying that is because if you talk about the heart, it talks about your intellect. It talks about your mind. It's referring to your will. It's referring to your emotions. It's referring to every part of you that makes up yourself, the inner workings. Are you all following? And so, in other words, your mind is somewhere between your brain and your spirit. Because the Bible talks even about us, you know, being made new in the spirit of our minds. So, somehow, between my mind, which is somewhere my brain, and my spirit, there's some kind of a connection. There's an overlap. So in the soul area, I've got my mind and I've got my will and I've got my emotions. And that's included in the heart in the Bible. And then in the spirit, you know, you've got the spirit of the mind, you've got your conscience, sits much more on the spirit side. Well, the Bible shows that your conscience is also part of your heart. It's all very complicated. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's not really that complicated. But the Bible talks about the fact that he is the hidden man of the heart. We, the hidden man of the heart is the real you. It's that which is inside of you. It's made up of your thoughts. It's made up of your emotions. It's made up of your will. It's made up of your intellect. It's made up of your subconscious. It's made up of everything. We can sum it up, and we can sum it up, and we'll come on to it next week, and we can start talking about your thought life, yep. your thought life. But it's a little bit more than just your thinking. There's more involved. So the Greek word is cardia. And the heart, as far as the Bible's concerned, is not like another fourth part of you. You're still spirit, soul, and body. But it's a composition of our souls, our minds, and emotions, and will, and the spirit, uh, including the vital part of our conscience. Are you are following so far? Yeah. So the heart is the center of our emotional stroke, intellectual stroke, moral character. Wow. Can you see why the wise King Solomon says to his son, listen, son, above all else, You know, I've lived a life, I'm living with the consequences of it, I'm living with the outcomes of it, I'm living with the blessings of it, and one thing I've discovered is that it's important to guard your heart. So I really want you to kind of nudge the person next to you and and just make sure they get this. If the heart is such a key issue in everything we do, are you all ready? Then your heart, your heart is your greatest asset or your greatest liability. But programmed for God, your heart is your greatest asset. The greatest asset of a leader is his heart. The greatest asset of a parent, of a husband or wife, a mother or a father, is their heart. I was just reading, it was in a commentary somewhere, about this man in Carthage centuries ago. He was a Carthaginian from Carthage and uh, grew up, terrible, terrible person, did unspeakable things. And on his way to being executed, his mother was standing in the crowd weeping. And um, he spoke to the executioners and said, can I just speak to my mother? And they brought him near and they gave him leave. And then he indicated to his mother I want to just tell you something, whisper it in your ear. And when she inclined her ear, he bit her ear off. And it's historically recorded. And he shouted at her and said, I am like this because of how you raised me. Now, obviously, that's a little bit of a transfer of blame and things like this. But somehow, she had not imparted to this, the child the, the right heart. And We need to take responsibility for our hearts. The Bible tells us this. You are listening. The Bible says this, and I need you to listen very carefully. I, having been a pastor for heading towards 40 years, and living my own life as well, and dealing with my own stuff, which I've completely dealt with and I'm so, I'm really not holy. You can ask Bev. Um, don't ask Bev because she'll tell you that I'm I'm not that holy. But but I've got issues. But the thing is. One thing I understand is that my heart needs constant attention because you know, Proverbs says, Folly, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction, in other words, the training will remove it. And it's interesting to me, and I watch people as they're growing, and that's this is why discipleship and training of the word is so important. As I watch people growing up, and I still see Their hearts have got folly in it. This folly is bound up in their hearts. And so we need to give constant attention to the word. We need to give constant attention to this heart and make sure that that folly that was bound up in my heart when I was born as a child does not follow me. Because it will dictate the rest of my life. Are you guys listening? And so we need to make sure that there's no folly here. I mean, the fool says in his where? In his Heart, there is no God. And so if there's no acknowledgement of God, even in areas of our lives, it's foolishness and folly can be bound up in our hearts. So, anyways, let's just continue. So the scriptures show us that our mind is part of our heart. Okay, you all ready? Okay. So it shows that our minds are part of our heart. So Jesus said this. So he ascribed their thought life to their hearts. He didn't say, why do you, are you thinking evil things in your brain? You know that the biblical concept of heart has infiltrated our everyday language, our English language, or even African, whatever language, because you don't say to your girlfriend or to your wife, I love you with all my brain. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't sound right, does it? You know, my whole brain, Because it would just speak of an intellectual thing. Because, you, I mean, you want a little bit of feeling in there, don't you? You want a little like, you know, you want it also to be a part of your emotions, you know? Yeah. So, you know, the Bible also talks about out of your inmost being, the King James, I think, says the bowels, you know? So you don't say, I love you with all my bowels. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you say, I love you with all my heart. Because with the brain, with the intellect, there's also emotion tied up. So, and that's a very strong thing, but we won't get into that. But Jesus said, you know, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Proverbs 23:7 says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's a central part of his life. But our will is also part of our hearts. So in Acts chapter 11, verse 23, Barnabas was sent to Antioch. Antioch was where they... First, we're referred to as Christians, and uh, when he gets there and he finds the believers there, he's so impressed because people, as they're dispersed, and there's a whole beautiful message in there, but anyway, they've been preaching the gospel and all these people have got saved, and Barnabas comes there and he says, when he arrived and he saw the grace of God, rejoiced and encouraged the new converts to remain with the Lord with purpose of heart, now, with all their hearts. Now, the King James, I think it says, with purpose of heart, and that means they're putting their will into it. Yeah. You know? So keep your will. So your will is part of your heart. So emotions is part of our heart. So listen to what Jesus says in John 16, 22. He said, I know now that I'm talking about going. You've got sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice. Woo! And your joy no man taketh away from me. What I'm trying to establish biblically is that there's something inside of us that is more than our brain, more than our minds, and it's a thing that the Bible refers to as our hearts, our center of our being. So our conscience is also part of our heart. Hebrews 10:22. let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Oh, it's so beautiful. You know, the word is so beautiful. And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts, sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You know, that's what the blood of Jesus did, and I love to include this in baptisms. I like it when the person gets into the baptismal pool and, because it's representative and identifying with their death, burial, and resurrection into the life of Jesus. I like to take some water before we baptize them and sprinkle it over them and say that your body was washed by the blood of Jesus as like with a dirty body with pure water. But so has your conscience been sprinkled to cleanse you. You know, Your mind has been sprinkled to cleanse you from an evil conscience. And not only that your conscience is no longer evil, but that your conscience doesn't testify against you any longer saying you're evil because now you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? Amen? So it's part of your heart. Jesus said, if your hearts condemn you, know that I'm greater than your hearts. So what is God's purpose for our hearts then? If the, 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 our hearts are so central. We talk about it. I mentioned it last week. When we give our lives to Jesus, we say, I gave my heart to the Lord. And then Paul says, well, in keeping with giving your heart to the Lord, I'm, I'm putting in my own words, he says, then offer your body also yeah. as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Are you all with me? It's so important, church. We've got tremendous pressure against us. I don't know if you've seen that case on YouTube of the doctor who refused to agree with this transgender issue that they're pushing. And uh, one, I don't know, some... Publication or journal or whatever, somewhere on the news, they spoke about the fact that they've identified 155 genders. There's parents in this church whose kids go to schools, supposedly Christian, and they've got genderless toilets. And the teachers don't know how to refer to the kids, you know, because normally you would say she or he or whatever. They've got to keep it genderless. Whereas Genesis 1 tells us God created us in His image. Male and female, He created them. Is that right? And so there's a tremendous, tremendous onslaught against our identity. How are kids going to grow up? They've got challenges ahead of them, but God has got a purpose for our hearts. Listen, those people that get caught up in that, are so fractured in their hearts, they've lost identity. I mean, they've completely lost it. The woke doctrine, all of these things, LGBTQ+, and whatever else, it's an onslaught against the purity of the home, and of marriage, and relationships, and things like that. But listen to what God's purpose for our heart. Right the way through the Old Testament, God realized that we needed more than a set of instructions. We needed more than something external to us that was just hard, fast rules. We needed something internal that would transform our lives. So Ezekiel prophesies in Ezekiel 36 verses 26 to 27, and I'm reading in it in the New Living Translation. Listen, he says, I will give you a new heart. You know, the born-again experience is such a miracle. It's so powerful that God says, I'll give you a new center. How many of you know that because of the way that the ancients regarded the heart as central in our beings and so important to us, that in our language now, when we talk about the heart of the storm, the storm doesn't have our heart, but it's talking about the center of the storm. You know, when I was in the heart of the conflict, when I was right in the center of it, when I was in the heart of the ship, I was in that central part of the ship. So when God gives us a new heart, he, in essence, he's changing our inner core. He's changing our inner being. Yes. Amen? And Paul says, part of it, he says, I've given you the mind of Christ. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, I think it is. He says, I've given you the mind of Christ, the ability to know who you are in him. Yes. I mean, such a transformation took place inside. You know, no wonder Solomon says, you've got to protect that which is inside of you. So he says, I love the New Living Translation. It says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take away out your stony, stubborn heart, and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Come on, church. Why did he give us a new heart? So that we can walk in his word and his ways. Is that okay? Okay. So we can understand what God is saying and walk accordingly with the power to do it. And that power comes from the inside. Jeremiah 24, 7 says the same thing. I will give them a new heart or a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people. I will be their God for they'll return to me with all of their heart. Come on, church, I need you to understand and myself to understand anything short of that is less than the purpose for which we were created, and for which we were born again. Amen? God doesn't want us to live substandard Christianity because we have, in David's word, a divided heart. No, God wants us to have a committed heart towards Him. And in Jeremiah 32, verses 39 to 40, again the New Living Translation says, And I will give them one heart, not an undivided heart. I will give them one heart and one purpose. You Look at that. What is that one purpose? To worship me forever for their own good. Listen to this. And for the good of their descendants. Come on, parents. The kindest, greatest, most gracious, most awesome thing you can do is to serve God with your whole heart. Because that will transfer onto your children and their children and their children and their children. And their children. Amen? Amen. See, he says, sin is to the third and fourth generation, he says, but to thousands of generations to those who love me. Amen? Maybe some of the good, some of the blessing that you're living in is because somewhere in your ancestry, somebody served God with all of their hearts. Amen? We try once a week to have our two grandsons, Eli and Noah, stay over with us, but we have our little ritual, the same as what we did with our kids so Come on, Eli, Noah, bedtime. And then off they trundle to bed, and Bev tucks them in. And then it's my job because I'm the priest of the home, I'm the head of the home. Bev never prays for them, not because she can't, but because we understand spiritual order. And so, this is the way from the day our kids were born, unless I was not there, I would pray for my children and speak blessing over them. And so, Noah had just said something really funny. When I went to go and pray for him, And there was the little character. So I prayed with him, and then I just peeked out of my one eye because I want to see if they close their eyes and they're adopting the posture, you know, and uh, not checking around waiting for this thing to be over. You know, and so I peek my eye open, and he knows what when I get to a certain point in the prayer, they know already that I'm going to say amen, and so they get ready to say amen, you know. So I opened my eye, and I see he's got a big grin on his mouth, and he's starting to giggle. So I say amen. So he goes, Amen. Pod John, Amen. And he goes, Press like, subscribe to the channel. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Then, okay, good night, my son. Switched off the light, closed the door. That was it. He went to sleep. (laughs) I'm thinking, it's modern kids, my goodness. So now I go through to the room and I'm going to pray with Eli, but this is too funny because I'm waiting for him to call me, but he doesn't. He goes to sleep and wakes up the next morning, you know? So I'm sitting there with Eli and then I I phoned Amy and I just said, look, the funniest thing that's happened, I just told her. So anyway, so then I I said goodbye, we FaceTimed and and, uh, Eli said goodnight, prayed with Eli and he went to bed. And the next morning, early, very early, I got a WhatsApp from Amy. She said, dad, thank you for praying for my boys like you prayed for us. She said, I cannot tell you the comfort and the strength and the awareness of God's presence that you imparted to me because every night you prayed for me. See, it's for our descendants' sake. It's for others' that we guard our hearts. It's the purpose for which God created us. And so, I love what Deuteronomy 30 says. In the new LT, says, The Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and soul, and so may you live. You know what this speaks to me? I told you about the lady that when we were in Port Alfred that came into the guest house off the run and we were able to start chatting to her. And uh, in a conversation, it just came out and we ended up going from the dining area into the lounge and we uh, just shared with her and laid hands on her and she was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but part of her testimony was that she had, had a terrible life, abusive husband that ended up in divorce and things like this. But one thing she said that carried her all the way through Is that in her heart of hearts, she knew that where they had ended up was because they had not served God. And she said many times, she had said to her ex husband, We need to go to church, we need to be serving God. But he was extremely aggressive and extremely anti. So after the divorce, she came through very powerfully. She had powerful encounters with the Lord and she came through strongly for the Lord. Her son was extremely bitter because of the divorce, very angry, went into drugs, went into alcohol, became a full-time beach bum surfing and all of that kind of thing. Not that surfing was bad, but that's where he went for escape. But her transformation was so radical that her son gave his heart to the Lord. And on the morning he was baptized in water in his church, he stood up and he said, the reason why I'm doing this is because of the change I saw in my mom. Mm -hmm. And all the bitterness melted. As a result of her testimony, her ex-husband, who's remarried, is now starting to go to church because of the change he saw in his ex-wife. Your heart is the greatest asset you have. Amen? Yeah. Yeah, Hallelujah. So the New Testament reality is this. Second Corinthians 4, 6 and 7. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light, His light, His very own essence, His very own character and nature, because He is light, to shine into our hearts so that we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Christ. We now have this light Are you listening, church, Father? We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. Come on, it's all about your heart. What's inside of you. Is that okay? The book of Proverbs, what an incredible book. So I'm just going to read this a little bit to you. Are you all listening? You've got your whirring ears on, your hearing ears. Is that all right? Are you all listening? Listen to this. The book of Proverbs beautifully takes practical matters, interweaves the spiritual, and makes life the beautiful thing that God wants it to be, because it's dealing with our hearts. Yeah. So this commentator continues, and he says this. When a person knows God and is right with God, they will find they live a perfectly natural, intensely practical, deeply spiritual life all at the same time, and that's what God intends. I need to read that again because it's powerful. Okay, so now you've got your listening ears on. And you've got your remembering heart, (laughs) your remembering brain. When a person knows God and is right with God, they will find they live a perfectly natural, intensely practical, and deeply spiritual life all at the same time. And that's God's intention. Amen. So now, very quickly, how to guard your heart. I've got four minutes. I'm just going to give you four things. Are you all ready? So there's an offensive way of guarding your heart, but there's also a defensive way. All armies, every soldier is taught how to defend. But they also know that sometimes the best defense is offense. But Proverbs chapter 4 just gives us a defensive position. So from next week, I'll start talking about the offensive. Is that right? On how to guard our hearts. So the defensive position he gives us. So we're going to go back to Proverbs chapter 4. And we're going to read 23 to 27. So we're going quickly. And it says this, NIV. Above all else, guard your hearts. For everything you do flows from it. So now he gives us four things to do in the defensive role on how to guard our hearts. He says, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. It's really interesting that Jesus said, not by your actions, but by your words you'll be judged. You will give an account for every idle word, every silly word. Why does he say you'll be judged by your words? Because your words belie your heart. Because out of the heart, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Is that okay? So he says, so number one, he says, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Number two, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. And then that's the third thing. Then the fourth thing, no, the the second. The third thing is, give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. And then the fourth thing, do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. So the the first thing that I want to talk is, uh, just mention, and I've already touched on it, is watch what you say. Watch what you say. Because our speech indicates what's in our hearts. One great theologian said this, sow a thought, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. And it all comes from our thought life, which ends up in our speech life. And so we need to really be careful of what we say. Countless Proverbs talk about setting a God not only over our hearts, but over our mouths. Okay? You know, you can persuade and convince yourself. I mean, you can talk yourself into depression. Just watch ENCA, SABC, and talk about everything they put on there. And tomorrow you wake up depressed and you don't know why. And so our conversation, our speech. Second, focus on what is before you. So watch what you watch. Listen to what you listen. Jesus said, take heed unto what you hear. Okay? Because of the modern world, now this is a scientific study. Are you all listening? So I'm not saying it. I'm saying what the scientists say. They say because of the modern world, because of the technology, because of the assault of media, and I mean the, the media just used to be TV and advertising things, but now it's Facebook, YouTube, whatever. There's an assault on us, an assault of information, and people are overloaded. They say that the average concentration span of a human being now is at eight seconds. Church, let me just put it into context. It's less than a goldfish's span of attention. Do you know why goldfish don't die? You can put him a little bowl with a little thing and he swims around, and he looks at the little, you know, fake steering wheel of a ship, and he goes like, oh, wow, this is wonderful. And he swims around the fishbowl, and by the time he makes one circuit, he's forgotten. And he comes and goes like, oh, wow. <laughs> Look at the ship's steering wheel. Wow, it's amazing. And he swims. That's why goldfish don't get depressed in that little thing. And then it swims... <laughs> And they're saying that human beings now have got less attention span than that. Well, it should be that we shouldn't ever get depressed, Hey, You'll come to church and go like, oh, wow, that's the first time we sang that song. Wow, look at a nice jacket, Pastor John's got. Never seen that before. (laughs) Are you all with me? And so we need a focus on, with a focus on what's in front of us. So what is in front of us? What is in front of us? Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2a, wherefore, seeing we are all compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily beset us, and let us run with patience and perseverance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so we've got to focus on what is in front of us. And never take our eyes off of that. Give our attention to Jesus, looking unto Jesus. Thirdly, think about where our feet are going. I don't know if you've noticed or you know someone like that. They just are always in trouble. They always make bad decisions. They always make the wrong choices. They're always in the wrong place. It's like their whole lives is just one drama, one trauma after the next, because they don't think about where their feet are taken. They just end up in the middle of all sorts of things. But we need to be circumspect, the Bible tells us, okay? So Proverbs 22:5, thorns and snares are in the way of the wicked, but he that keeps his soul shall be far from them. Number three, stay away from evil. I'm going to close with this. Some years ago, I watched a program on TV. It fascinated me as well as scared me a little bit. And I realized um, the company, Bal Pottinger, yes. did that to South Africa as a nation. Yeah. They reckon the Russians are so far ahead with psychologically programming the population. That's why they can do what they do in the Ukraine and get people blindly to follow them because they're so far advanced in subliminal programming and things like this. But I watched this program, Darren Brown. And he's like one of those guys. He's a British guy. And um, he did an experiment, and they turned it into a little bit of a documentary, a program. And what he did was he called for volunteers, and a whole bunch of people volunteered. And he did like an interview process, and then he selected people to do something that's completely out of character. And so what he did was he began to program them. And um, he programmed them at the end of the day to attack a cash-in-transit vehicle, do a heist on them and try and steal the money. And he so cleverly programmed them that when they interviewed them in a room that had a big glass front on it and they would have an SBV vehicle driving past. And they never noticed it. They didn't think. And all the way through, he programmed them. He got them to play with toy guns. A lot of them were not used to it. And then it was out of the sort of the program. He had key music playing, a, a particular soundtrack he had playing in the background whenever he interviewed him, and they was doing all these different exercises. And he so psychologically prepped them. One of the things that they did was, um, you know, he pretended he got this sort of uh, martial arts guy to come and to show them the G, the power, like with karate. So they'd have someone standing there, but they were all in on the thing. And then they would stand, and they would focus, and they would Ooh, like this, and then ooh, and the guy would fall over. You know, a bit like coming to ACF sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so they got this, this feeling of this incredible psychological, spiritual power that they had. And so the programming went on and on and on. One of the final hurdles, one of the final hurdles, and before I tell you the final hurdle, so he got these people, intellectual, clever people, and he had it all set up on the street, with a, an SBV vehicle, a cash-in-transit vehicle. He had everything set up. They had their toy gun with them and everything like this. A particular color car driving past, the music playing out of the shops. And um, he says, I want to meet you in this particular place. Now, he's waiting around the corner, and so the first candidate comes walking down the street. That music is playing softly. It's so subliminal that they don't even realize this is the music they've been playing in the interviews. And they walk down, and here's the cash and transit vehicle, same company, same colors, everything, that they had driving past the window when he was talking to them. And here's the vehicle, and these guards get out, and they take the cash box out and get out. And they're looking around. Nobody's. The street is deserted. It's all set up. They grab something, put like a mask over their face, take the plastic gun, run up to the guards, And uh, they hold them up, and they steal. Of course, there's no money in it. People who had jobs, intellectuals, CEOs of companies, that kind of thing. Good, wholesome people. But he'd put all these triggers in. And they did something that was so out of character. Some of them were so worked up in the whole process that they started fighting the guards, doing the thing and, and all of that. And then he came around the corner and he had to tell them, stop, stop, stop. And he had to take them all away. Every single one of them did it, bar one. And he had to take them around to a facility around the corner. And he had to deprogram them and take all the triggers out. Mm. Come on, church. That's the world we live in. Here's the deal. That whole group of people, he gave them one thing to do. He had organized a little sweet shop, a little cafe on the corner from where he was doing the training. He had arranged with the guy, said, I'm going to send them in and they're going to do something, but I want you to know in it and I'll pay for anything. And so the shopkeeper was in on it. And so what he told them to do was like, oh, you're feeling free and you're feeling all this and you rah rah them and it's like, all right, your next assignment, you take turns, but you go down to the little sweet shop on the corner and you go and steal the chocolate. And yet, I mean, these are adults, it was all with glee. They go down and one after they're walking, walking, walking like this out and they're out the shop. Of course, he's waiting and you know, and all this kind of thing. When I say waiting, they come back and did you steal it? Yeah, and I got this and I got this back in the training room. Now, he's arranged it with the, the shop owner and he pays for everything. There were some people who walked in and they walked out and they could not steal. And this was his comment. He said, Those who have. Strong moral or ethical boundaries I cannot program. And he excused them from the experiment. Church, if we guard our hearts, my brother-in-law, born again spiritual speaking tongues, went to a show once and this guy was trying to hypnotize everybody. So now he hypnotizes everybody, and everybody's doing what he's doing. So he comes up to my brother-in-law after, and he goes, put your hand out. So my brother-in-law was sitting there, and he goes, like, how did I end up in this place? So he just prayed in tongues. He was the only one that was not hypnotized. And the guy's saying, put out your hand. Do this. Now you feel this. And he's going, "No." Nah. Eventually, <laughs> the guy was so irritated with him. I wanted to get up. Church, if we fill ourselves with guard our hearts... With all the stimulus that is coming, we won't be controlled. Amen. Amen. God, your hearts. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Look at the person next to you say, my heart is important. Say, so your heart is important. Say, so I will guard my heart. Not only will I defend it, I will be proactive and fill it with the right things. Amen. Come on. That's why God wants to heal the wounds of our hearts the woundedness, and other issues in us. That's why God wants to heal those things because those things can be triggers. Is that okay? So Father, as we are heads about, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is so awesome. And I want to thank you, Lord, for each person here this morning. And Father, I want to thank you for that which is moral, that which is ethical, yeah. that which is righteous, yeah. that which comes through your word. And it's important for us to sit in teachings like this. But Father, that which you've enabled us to put inside the heart that you've given us for the purpose of knowing you, for the purpose of our own good and our own benefit and for our descendants. Father, I pray that by your precious Holy Spirit, you'll enable us. Paul said to Timothy, guard the good deposit that is in you, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. And Father, that body of truth that he committed to Timothy Lord, the body of truth that is ours through your word, that we will guard our hearts and protect it for our sake, for your sake, for the kingdom's sake, for our children's sake, for those around us, for their sake. Father, in the wonderful name of Jesus. And so, Father, I just pray and I speak blessing over your people. May, Lord, you continue to enable us and to change our hearts, to change our minds by the power of your word. Father, I pray that as the word is preached week after week in this church, that our hearts are being evangelized. They're being discipled. They're being healed. Father, that that as we come to know the truth, the truth then sets us free. That there's nothing inside of us that snares us. Lord, when David sinned, he realized that it was because there was something in him that had given in, something in his heart that had given in. And in Psalm 51, he prays and he said, Lord, give me truth, but give it to me in my inward parts. And Father, I pray for truth in the inward parts in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus.